0: Well, good morning. It is uh, great to be here. I'll tell you that August fifth—that is today's date, isn't it? Uh, it's been a kind of a crazy weekend. I'm making sure there. Now, that date has been in our minds for a long time. Uh, for a few weeks now, we've been thinking towards that and moving towards that. And it is a day that has seemed to have come slowly. And I know for some of you in this room, as I've heard you talk this weekend, uh, two years slowly for some of you, uh, a few weeks for us. But in some ways, it's come very quickly. And my wife and I and our boys are excited to be here. Let me just, uh, before we get into God's Word this morning, let me just say a couple of words of thanks. I, I want to thank you for the reception that we've received this weekend. Uh, we've had a great weekend. It has been a tiring weekend, uh, but a good weekend. We were here Friday and we met with a couple of committees on Friday night and had dinner here at the church and had a great, wonderful evening then. Then yesterday morning, I had the opportunity to meet with the ordained men of the church and had a wonderful breakfast. Uh, I was wanting some of those eggs and uh, biscuits and gravy this morning, to be honest with you. Great breakfast Uh, yesterday morning. I had a conversation with them. My wife had a brunch for her yesterday with the women's ministry. And then last night, I got to meet many of you. And our family has felt very welcome here. Uh, We are excited about what God may be doing, but just to say to you, thank you, ...for what you have done in making us feel welcome this week. And I also want to publicly again thank your search committee. Uh, they have done a wonderful job with me uh, working through that. Uh, the care that they have given to Susan and I, the way that they have walked through this process has been amazing. And I, I want uh, just publicly again to thank Alan and that committee for all that they have done uh, in leading to this point. Now you may not want to thank them till after I get through preaching... You may think, well, we'll see how this turns out, but uh, I want to thank them publicly for that. This past week, I've been thinking a lot about the word "anticipation," because I can imagine that there is some anticipation in this room this morning, that there has been some anticipation for those in this room for a while now. And when I began to think about the word "anticipation," I was taken back to my childhood now. As I've heard you comment, many of you say, I am still fairly young. Uh, and I am a child of the 80s. I grew up in the 80s. It was elementary school in the 80s. And I remember vividly, when I was in elementary school, we would get out of class on certain days and gather in rooms where there was a TV. Now, this was well before they had TVs or computers or anything like that in the classroom. And we would meet in a central location. And one of the events that we always got out of class to see was the shuttle launch. And I remember specifically sitting in the auditorium of Jenny Bell Elementary School in Dyersburg, Tennessee, the first time I can remember seeing a shuttle launch. I remember sitting there next to my friends, watching on the screen as the shuttle was there and as things were built around it. And as they said those magic words, let the countdown begin. And they began to count. Ten, nine, eight. I didn't know a thing about the space program at the time, but I started to get excited. Seven, six, five. The tension in the room was mounting as you saw the smoke billowing out and the engines start to shake. Four, three, two, one. And when they said liftoff, explosions happened, and that massive structure rose to the sky. The reason that I thought about that picture is because in many ways, I feel like I'm on that pad getting ready to launch right now. (laughs) All right? This church, as I've talked to Alan, as I've talked to the search committee, as I've been here this weekend, I get the feeling that many of you feel like God has some unbelievable plans for this church in the future. And in many ways, this church has the feeling of being on that launching pad and you're counting down saying, when can we get to one? When can we hear the word launch? Today, I want to talk to you about preparing liftoff. About what it means to prepare for that moment when God is going to do something that you can't ask, that you can't imagine, that you can't think. And we're going to talk about out of Paul's letter of Ephesians. If you've got your Bibles, turn to the book of Ephesians chapter 3. We're going to talk about what it means to prepare for liftoff. Now the book of Ephesians is one of my favorite books and Paul, in in chapter 3, verses 14 through 21, where we're going to be focusing today, really is kind of bridging the gap from what he has said to what he's about to say. In the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians, Paul has laid the groundwork for the Ephesians to understand, this is who you are, this is what's going on. In chapters four and following, he's going to tell them how to live, and so he begins to transition in chapter three, verse 14, all the way to verse 21, about how he is going to tell them to get ready to launch into what God wants them. Now just to give you some background before we read this passage of scripture, you need to understand that in chapter 1 verses chapter 3 verse 13, he is telling about the engine of the Christian life. He's telling about the things that are under the hood, about the power that we have, about how all this stuff has come together. He tells them about the power that comes from God. He tells them who they are in Christ. He talks about us being chosen, holy, blameless, accepted, redeemed, forgiven. That we are, uh, have wisdom and knowledge. That we are God's workmanship and that we have an inheritance that we have obtained. And he goes through all of those pictures to say, that's who you are. This morning, early on, when I began to think in what direction I would preach, one of the things I thought to is I, I thought about trying to say, okay, this is what the church is There'll be plenty of time for that if the vote goes all right a little later. And we'll talk about that. But, but the Lord just kind of led me to say, many of them know who they are. And they know what they want to see happen. We just got to figure out how to transition that. And so we began to think, well, that's who we are. And Paul said, that's who you are in Christ. In chapter 4, he starts to say, here's a road map. Here's a flight plan. Here's how you're going to get there. But in these verses, he stops and says, here's how you launch. Here's how you lift off. Chapter 3, starting in verse 14. I'm reading out the New International Version. Uh, that's the version that I preach from. For this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom His whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of His glorious riches, He may strengthen you with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and how long and how deep is the love of Christ What Paul is saying here is what I want to tell you is how you're going to move from that place where you feel like you're ready for anticipation, but you can't quite get going. There's a picture in my mind of, of, of what it's like to be stuck, ready to go, but, but unable to go that happened just a few weeks ago. My, uh, my wife was in a wedding recently at the Tennessee River, and they had put us up for the weekend in these nice houses overlooking the river, and the wedding was going to happen there, and... And we were there with her parents, and they, he was performing the wedding. Susan, was, was, we were there as part of the wedding, and it was an exciting time. And uh, We were there on Friday afternoon. We had gone through the rehearsal. Everything was fine. Susan had been down to talk to some people. And she came back to the room. Her parents were there, said they would take care of the boys. And she said, why don't we go out on the golf cart tonight? Well, when you have two kids, you look for moments when you can kind of be together, and a lot of things that used to not seem as enticing sound great. Amen? And so um, uh, a late night, 8.30, that's late night now, (laughs) ride in a golf cart sounded like a wonderful idea to me, and so... We go downstairs, and they've got the golf carts at each little place. And so I get in the golf cart, and Susan gets in there, and we need to back up. I mean, we could have gone through the grass, but I was respecting the property, so I take it, and I've driven golf carts before. I like to play golf. I enjoy golf. Golf carts are easy. You put them in forward, you go forward. you put them in reverse, you go in reverse. I put the thing in reverse, backed out of the driveway, went to put it in forward, and it would not go. Now, I don't know if you're familiar with golf carts or not, but when they go into reverse... They make a beeping noise. You know, beep, beep. I could not get the thing to go forward. I tried, I pushed, I jabbed, I hit, I kicked. Everything I could do, all I heard was beep, beep, beep. Susan tried to help me out there, but part of me, being the husband, thought this is something I should figure out. And then she said the words that just, just, you know, make your manliness sink. I'll just go get my dad. <laughs> I'll be real honest with you. Stuck in that golf cart with it beeping loudly. I turned the key off. It still beeped. With it beeping loudly while Susan is going up the stairs to get her dad, you can believe I tried every ounce of strength I had to get that vehicle unstuck. Her dad gingerly walks down the steps, sits down in the passenger seat, puts his hand on the gear shift, presses down and forward and says, there you go. (laughs) My prayer for this church is that if you call me as your pastor, here in just a few minutes, that we would trust God enough that we wouldn't be stuck in reverse but that we would be willing to go forward through His strength. And what Paul says in this passage of Scripture is, there are some things that you need to do if you're going to move from the anticipation stage to the reality of seeing God do amazing things. Six things, and we're going to count them down from six to one. If you've got something to write on there, I think they are right with. I think in your order of service is a place you can write some notes down. I would, take, I would advise you to take some notes, uh, not because, uh, uh, not because I, I just want you to write while I'm speaking, but surveys show that if you don't take notes, you'll forget about 95% of what I say within 48 hours. And so you take some notes, write them down, think it through. You can have it at home to study through. But we're going to do six things today, straight from this passage of Scripture, that I think that you in this church, that I, as the possible future pastor of this church, need to do in our lives if we want to see liftoff. Here's number one, or number six. We're counting down. We need to pray. Look what Paul says. For this reason I kneel before the Father. I'll tell you right now that prayer may be the most talked about but least used part of the Christian life. Recent studies have shown that 25% of one denomination, not our denomination, but a denomination similar to us, admit to never praying. The average pastor, this stat I found, and I shared it with the ordained men yesterday, prays an average of three to four minutes a day. And we wonder why our churches seem powerless. Paul says, for this reason, because of who you are, because I know what God has done, because of the potential that is in you, because of the unbelievable things that could happen, I bow on my knees to pray. Now for us today, bowing on our knees is a symbol of prayer that we have just seen. But in their day, it was not the normal way to pray. Most people prayed standing up with their faces pointed towards the heavens and they would pray out loud to God. But Paul says that he kneels to pray. And what's interesting about that, besides the fact he was probably chained to a Roman guard and it must have been interesting for him to kneel with Paul to pray, is that Paul only kneeled to pray out of submission to God and what he wanted to do. Let me tell you what prayer is really all about. You see, prayer... It's important in bringing your request to God. It's important to bring your petitions. But prayer is really about getting your will aligned with God's will. And if this church is going to move forward, what is going to have to happen and what needs to happen in each individual life and in this church collectively is that this church has to be in line with God's will. And that comes through prayer. It says, I kneel before the Father. The idea there is that he, as fervently as he could, as hard as he could, was kneeling before him praying that God would intercede and do something. That God would show up in a mighty way. That God would come in power that they wouldn't believe. That God would do something that can't be explained by normal men. My prayer for this church is that God would do something that can't be explained. My prayer is not just to to have people here at this church. My prayer is not just to, to make sure that we have a nice little place to gather or nice little services on Sunday morning. My prayer is that God would do something that people cannot explain. And that only happens through fervent, intense, purposeful prayer. Now Paul doesn't stop with just, I pray. He then tells us the things that he was praying for. Number five on our countdown is that if we're going to see God move, we need to pray for strength. Look what he says. I pray that out of his glorious riches. Now, I'll be honest with you, I preach out of the NIV, but there are times when the NIV doesn't do a good job of translating what was originally said. And what it really ought to say there is according to his riches. Now, that doesn't seem like a big deal, but it is. You see if someone gives me out of their riches, it just means they give me a part. If it means they give me according to their riches, it means that they are in line with how much they have. Here's an illustration. If Bill Gates suddenly decided to give me some money, and he wrote me a check for $15, he would be giving out of his riches. If, however, he decided to give me some money and wrote me a check for 1 billion dollars, it would be according to His riches. The idea there is that God is so big and great and wonderful that we ought to pray that the strength that comes is in line with who He is, not with what we might want. We ought to pray for strength. The idea here is that we ought to pray for inner strength. This is not strength for witnessing. It's not strength for evangelism. It's not strength for service. It is strength that when God... God begins to move in our lives and the enemy gets upset about that, that we will have the ability to stand firm in the midst of the struggle. I don't know whether you've noticed this or not, but whenever you begin to really live for God, trials and tribulations come. It's not they may come. It's not they might come. It's not, well, they, we think there's a possibility. They will come. Now, it's not just limited to times when we're really living for God. The truth is that almost all of us have trials and tribulations on a regular basis in our lives. And what God intends for us to do is to pray that we will be strengthened by His Spirit so that inside of us is this ability to stand firm. I recently got back from a trip to Porta Segura, Brazil. And in Porto Seguro, Brazil, we did some amazing ministry there with some people that are impoverished, that are hurting, and that needed Jesus. One of the ladies that wanted to go with us on this trip is a lady named Miss May Dunaway. And Miss May is in her late 70s or early 80s. And I may be making her younger than she is, but she probably wouldn't mind that. And she had never flown before, had never been out of the country, but felt God telling her she needed to go to Brazil. And so I talked to her. I said, Ms. May, I want you to go. We've got a ministry you can do. I'd love for you to go. She said, I'm going. She signed up. She gave her deposit. She paid her first big check. And immediately after that, she got pneumonia. After she got pneumonia, she went to the doctor. And her blood test looked different. The doctor said, I need you to come back in two weeks. And we're going to test your blood again in two weeks. And if it's the result, I think it's going to be you're going to be Sidelined, out of commission for six months to a year Miss May came to my office and she said Brother Lyle you told me that when I signed up for this trip that God would bless it but that Satan would attack and I'm standing here today Brother Lyle telling you that Satan has discouraged me in the midst of this that afternoon I prayed with Miss May tears running down her face that God would strengthen her inside to face the battle that was to come. We prayed for her health and we prayed that God would let us see while we were in Brazil the reason she was on that trip. Miss May came back two weeks later, sat in my office, tears in her eyes again and says, I just want you to know all the tests are clear. And I said, Miss May, that is nothing but the strength of God living through you. We must pray to be strengthened. If this church begins to do things that are unexplainable by human means, the enemy will attack. He will attack you. He will attack this church. He will try to divide and conquer. He will make you think things about other people. He will make little things become big things. He will make big things seem small. He will do all kinds of things to try to divide and conquer. And we have to pray for strength. This is a quote from a guy from a couple hundred years ago. It says, do not pray for easy lives. Pray to be stronger people. Do not pray for tasks equal to your powers. Pray for powers equal to your tasks. Then doing of your world shall be no miracle, but you shall be a miracle. God will do amazing things if you pray for strength. It's it's kind of a building block that Paul does here. He says, pray. Then he says, pray for strength. Then the next thing he says is, you need to allow Christ to settle down. Now, that seems like a kind of a crazy thing. What he actually says there is, I'm praying that you may be strengthened by his glorious riches with power through his Spirit, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts. Now, he is writing to Christians, so he's not telling them that he wants Christ to come live in their hearts. He's telling them Christ already lives in their hearts. What he's telling them is that he wants Christ to feel at home in their hearts. Has anybody here ever been to a house where you didn't feel at home? This, let me give you, this means yes or no. You can respond, it's okay. Anybody ever been in a house that didn't feel like a home? I, I remember the first time we slept in our house that we bought about two years ago. Susan and I just looked at her and said, it, it doesn't feel like home. Recently, we, knowing what God may be doing, we've been getting the house kind of ready again. We've been doing some things around the house. We've been trying not to hit walls here or to do things there. And in some ways, it feels like we're not at home anymore. You know what it means to be at home. For me, it means sitting down in my recliner with the remote and something to drink sitting there with sports on the television. I am at home. Now, for my wife, it is nothing about that. But I'm at home. Just settle down. And what it says in the Scripture is that we ought to pray that Christ is able to come into our house, our body, and feel at home. There's an old book that I uh, used when I was in high school by Robert Boyd Munger called My Heart, Christ Home. A great book. And it pictures Christ moving into your life like it's a home. And he starts in the library and he looks at the shelves and all the trash and garbage you may be filling your life with and he says, you've got to get rid of that. And he goes into the dining room and he looks at the appetites you have and says, maybe you need to stop eating this and start eating that. He moves into the living room where you have fellowship and he says, maybe you need to make sure that you're spending time with me and not with all this other stuff. And then he moves into the workshop and says, how are you working for the Lord? And finally he gets all the rooms cleaned out and suddenly there is an odor in the house. You ever had one of those odors you don't know where it comes from? But it's there. And they start searching for the odor. And there's a closet on the second floor that's hidden. And in that closet as they open up is all kinds of rotten stuff. And Christ just kind of makes the point, until your life is completely ready and cleaned out, I can't be at home here. For this church to move forward, for this church to see God do things that we can't explain there are going to have to be lives that will be changed by Him. There will be rooms that have to be cleaned out. There will be lifestyle changes that have to happen. There will be things that you will have to rid yourself from putting into your life. And you will have to let Christ settle down in your house. Once you do that, the third thing that we see here, number three on our list, is that we need to check our foundation. Here's what he says. Pray that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and how long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge. He uses two illustrations here. He says being rooted and grounded or established in love. There are two illustrations, two different worlds. One is an agricultural world. Mountain Ripley where I pastor currently, it is an agricultural society. Most of the people there had families that grew up on farms. And we have had drought there, just as I understand there's been drought here. And the only plants that survive in a drought are those plants that have very deep roots. He then uses a building metaphor established or grounded. And the idea is that the foundation is sure. Have you've ever seen a house go up or you've seen a building go up, it takes forever to get out of the ground. But once the foundation is laid, the framing goes pretty quickly. And what he says is that you ought to be grounded in the love of Christ. Now he gives us some understanding that it is wide and long and high and deep. What he's really saying there is it is so unbelievable you can't understand it. I heard a lot of little boy in a Sunday school room. I have a four year old and a one year old and my four year old, Eli, loves Toy Story. I don't know if you're familiar with Toy Story or not. If you're not, have grandchildren you will be. Have children you will be. It's a great movie. And he watches it, and there's a character in there named Buzz Lightyear. And this particular four year old one day was at Sunday school and learned about the love of God. And he came home and he told his mom, He said, Mom, well, you know, we learned a lot in Sunday school. What'd you learn today, son? He said, We learned about God's love. And she said, Well, how much does God love you? And he said, Like Buzz says, to infinity and beyond. And that's a good picture. It's indescribable, it's unbelievable. And our lives have to be grounded in His great love for us. And what happens is, as we begin to pray, and as we begin to pray that God will strengthen our inner man and we're standing strong in those trials, and as we begin to pray and God begins to feel at home living in our lives and dwelling in us, suddenly we begin to understand exactly how much He loves us. How wide, how deep, how long, Is His love for us. What happens is immediately upon understanding God's love for us, we begin to show that love to others. If this church is going to see God do things that we can't explain, not only are we going to have to be strong from the beginning through prayer, not only are we going to have to make Christ feel at home here in this church and in our lives, but we are going to have to love God and love one another. That means looking past faults that we all know are there. It means looking past things that we know are there from the very beginning, but it's okay because we're loving each other through Christ. Listen, I have some faults. I'm not going to list them for you today. I'll tell you later after you vote. How about that? I have some faults. And there are some things in me as I am human that you will come and go, boy, I wish he was different there. And I'll be honest with you, I'm going to meet you, I'm going to talk with you, and I'm going to go, boy, I wish he or she were different here. But true Christian love is looking past that saying, we're working together for a true cause of Christ and we'll stand by each other even though we're different. True love is our foundation. Here's number two. We're almost there. Don't you like these sermons? You know when we're ending, right? We're at number two. Once we begin to love, we will be filled up with the fullness of God. Look how he continues. This love is the love of Christ and it surpasses knowledge, verse 19, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now before we kind of move into this point, I want you to notice that in verse 16 we're filled with the Spirit. In verse 17 we are dwelled by Christ. In verse 19 we are filled up with God. And so what he tells us here is you have no excuse for a powerless life because the Trinity, the three-in-one, Father, Spirit, Son, all are a part of your life. They're living through you, so you have no excuse for not having power. And what happens in our lives when we begin to pray for strength and God strengthens us and cleans out those areas that need to be cleaned out and we commit to loving one another and loving Christ, suddenly we begin to look and feel and act just like Him. Being filled with the fullness of Christ in some magical term, it means taking on the attributes and the nature of God. Now I know on sunny nights there's been a group that's been meeting in here talking about the nature of God. And there are all kinds of things about the nature of God that you could delve into. But it's just basic stuff. You become more loving. You become more compassionate. You become more merciful. You become more knowledgeable. You become more discerning. You enjoy the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. Your life begins to look like the life. Of Christ, and when you begin to live like the life of Christ, people out there will notice you're doing different things in here, and the fullness of Christ will live in you. So, what's the last thing? After you've prayed, after you've been strengthened, after you've let Christ make His home in your life, after you've checked your foundation, make sure it's on love, after you're filled up with the fullness of God, what's the last thing? And it's simply this. Expect miracles. My favorite verse in all of Scripture is verse 20 and 21 of Ephesians 3. Because this is what God says in there, what Paul says under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. It says that Paul is giving a doxology, a word of praise, an ending of praise, but he does so in reminding us how powerful and wonderful our God is. He says, now to Him who is able to do immeasurably more than all. Now, I just want to tell you real quickly, I don't use Greek a lot. I've had Greek, uh, but I'll tell you this, that the word all in Greek means all. All. All right? No trick there. All means. Oh, okay. Let's try that again. All means. Oh, good. That means all that we can do. God has given us every ability to do everything He wants done. Every resource that is needed for this church to do unbelievable, miraculous things is right here, right now, today. It's here. And what he says there is that we have a God who wants to do that. Now, Paul is trying so hard to describe what God wants to do that he makes up a word. There is no word ever used in the Greek language except for right here, a word he makes up. And he just adds on top of things. He starts out with God is able to do all. And then it's almost like he says, no, 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 no. God's able to do above. No, God's able to abundantly above. No, Wait. God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could dream, think, pray, or imagine. Let me tell you right now that whatever vision you have for this church is too small. Because scripture says that our God wants to do things we can't even imagine. My wife and I, when we got married, we claimed that verse for our marriage. She inscribed it on the inside of my wedding ring, and so it is with me at all times. And I believe that God wants to do things in my life that I couldn't even imagine. And I'll be honest with you. Six years ago, nine years ago when we got married, staying before you today in a church like this with the God-given potential that I see is beyond what I could ask or imagine. But I have a God that's in that business. One of my favorite quotes is from a guy named C.S. Lewis. You may have heard of him somewhere. C.S. Lewis says that the problem is not that we think too big, it's that we think too small. He says, Our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. We are like ignorant children making mud pies in a slum because we cannot imagine what is offered by a holiday at sea. Having two boys that have grown up fairly recently, I'm pretty uh, aware of baby food. You know what I think is interesting to me? Is watching a child move through the stages of eating. Because it's like you start out and it's just a bottle. Or if a lady's breastfeeding, it's just the breast milk. And gradually you begin to think we're going to work up into some baby food. And there are times when they take that first bite of baby food when they don't want any of it. And to be honest, if I had to eat it, I wouldn't either. But they gradually get used to it. And then there comes a time around their first birthday when they get to take something besides baby food and you put cake on their plate. Right? Amen? Everybody like cake? My son recently had his first birthday, and most babies get real messy with the cake, right? My son had a system, hand-to-mouth, it was going like you wouldn't believe. He finished off that cake, he finished off the ice cream, he had a little mustache and was ready for more. He thought, man, where has this been all my life? <laughs> the thing is, most of us in our Christian lives, who we're honest, are still on baby food. When God's got some cake out there for us to taste. And when God really begins to move in your life and do these things more than we can ask or imagine, you're going to ask, where has this been all my life? My prayer for this church is that God would strengthen you with the spirit that comes from receiving Him as Savior. That He would dwell in your lives and in this church in a very comfortable manner. That He would root out all those things that needed to be rooted out. That we would be grounded and established firmly in the love of Christ. That we would be filled with all the fullness of God. And that in the end, what we see are things that we absolutely cannot explain by any other way than God Himself showed up and did it. That's my prayer. You see... There's a real danger, and especially in an area of the country that's growing, and you can do all the right programs, and you can get the right music, and you can get a guy that can speak real well. And I'm going to tell you right now building a crowd today is not that difficult. But I'm not here to build a crowd, I'm here to build a church. And what we're going to do, if you call me as your pastor, is we're going to seek God together and ask Him to bless everything we do. Because if we build a church, so-called, of thousands of people and God's not in it, it's not worth it. And we are here not to build a crowd. We're here to build a church. I'm going to leave you with a quote from a guy that was instrumental in missions by William Carey that I think is important for this church to remember as we think about the future. And in just a moment, we're going to have a time of invitation. I'm going to lead you through that. Tom and some others will be here to receive you if you want to come. William Carey once said that our goal is to expect great things from God and attempt great things for God. And what we want to see happen in this church are unbelievable, great things. More than we could ask or imagine. Would you bow with me this morning? Now this morning, I mentioned earlier that this is, uh, there may be some anticipation, and you may have come this morning just to check out the new guy, see what I look like, see um, if Alan and that committee was right, and this morning you came fully intending just to listen to check me out. But in the midst of the sermon this morning, in the midst of opening God's word, in the midst of the worship service, God spoke directly to your heart. Maybe this morning what God's called you to do is to prepare yourself for whatever's going to happen in the future at this church. This morning we are going to have a time of invitation. Marvin's going to lead us in singing. But this morning, the most important thing you can do is to settle any issue you've got with God. Maybe you're here this morning and you're not a part of this church or you may be a member of this church, but you've never come to a place in your life when you've accepted Jesus Christ As your Savior. And this morning, during this time of invitation, you say, it is time for me to quit playing games, to quit trying to live my life on my own, to quit doing the things that are leading me down the wrong roads, and this morning is time for you to give my life to Christ. Perhaps you're here and you've been visiting for a while, or you're visiting this morning, and you say, listen, I've been looking for a church, I've been trying to find one, and, and I've come this morning... And I realize that God is going to do some great things here. And part of me launching into the future is me planting my life right here. And this morning, you want to come and say, this is the church. I've saved. I've accepted Christ. This is the church where I want to be a part. Maybe you're a member of the congregation here. And you're just excited about what God's going to do. And this morning, in a visible, tangible way, you want to come here to the front. Make this a moment with God, an altar of God this morning and to pray that you will be part of seeing this church do things that you can't imagine right now. Maybe this morning is a prayer of commitment to God that you will be open and willing to do whatever He asks. Lord, may lay something else on your heart. My prayer for you this morning is that whatever the Lord lays on your heart that you'll be obedient. Heavenly Father, We come today realizing in this moment that there are so many emotions and things that are happening around us. Lord, I pray for the next few moments that we just shut all of that out. And that this morning that we would get very real with you. Lord, you know everything about us and it's ridiculous for us to hide some things. And this morning, Lord, I pray there may be some people that need to to clean out some stuff in their life. Lord, that you would give them the courage to say, it's time. Well, there may be some people that that need just to come and to say, this is the church where I'm supposed to be a part. of." you would give them the courage to say, right now, Lord, it's time. And there may be some people that need to come and accept you as Savior. Lord, give them the strength to say, it's time. And Lord, for those members, those precious members of this congregation that have waited for a moment when the man that you have called to come to this church has come. Lord, let them in their heart know from you, it's time. Lord, may they pray a prayer of commitment to you to see this church do great things. Lord, we pray only that your will is done in this place this morning, just as it is in heaven, and that we would be obedient to whatever you call us to do. In the precious name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. We're going to sing. We're going to stand. If the Lord leads us this morning, would you come as we stand and sing together?